Hi, everyone. We thank you for joining us for today's Safety and Health webcast sponsored by Aveta. Just letting you know, we'll be getting the presentation underway in about one minute as we allow everyone to file in. But again, we thank you for joining us. Hello again, everyone. Just as you file in, I want to let you know if you're looking for the webinar sponsored by Aveta, you're in the right place. Just allowing people to file in as we get the room up and going. We'll be getting things going in a little bit less than 30 seconds. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Mythbusters. Is everything you know about OSH indicators wrong? Sponsored by Aveta. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine and we'll be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well. In a few minutes, we'll start a presentation, but first let's review some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and may not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product or publication does not necessarily mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I'll let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today is Pam Woloski. Pam is a CSP and a Senior Program Director for Specialty Technical Consultants Incorporated with nearly 30 years of industry experience. Her work involves conducting management system assessments and developing risk management programs. Pam serves as an adjunct faculty member in the Indiana University of Pennsylvania Safety Sciences Program and is a seasoned general session presenter at major OSH organizational conferences. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation. Pam, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. And, and thank you again to the folks at National Safety Council, Safety and Health Magazine, and to Aveta for uh, jointly putting this webinar together. Uh, they're a great team to work with. I've done uh, presentations with everyone before, and uh, they make my job really easy, which is to get on here and spend an hour talking with you about a particular topic. Today is measuring occupational safety and health performance uh, using metrics. <clears throat> and we are undergoing uh, sort of a, a, a paradigm shift or a seismic shift, if you will, in how we measure occupational safety and health performance in our organizations. So we're gonna talk today a little bit about some of the problems with what we do now and why the things we're doing now aren't working or maybe aren't valid or relevant. And then we're going to talk a lot about a new way of measuring performance through a new uh, consensus standard that was published, uh, an ANSI ASSP consensus standard that was published in just in April of this past year. So I wanna start the session off with a poll question actually. And so I'm gonna ask uh, the poll question to go ahead and be launched. 
um, I, this will help me figure out um, how to kind of moderate or, or manipulate some of the conversation that we're going to have today. I'd like to hear a little bit about this. So I'm going to be quiet for a couple session, seconds while you figure out which of these answers you'd like to do. Give you another uh, three or four seconds, and then we're going to go ahead and close the poll. We'll see how everybody voted. So, uh, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, let's see what the results are. Great. Wow. So, 31% of you know nothing at all, which is excellent because we're going to really dig in at the fundamental level. Uh, a large chunk of you know a little bit. And most of you are in the um, those two categories. So excellent. You can go ahead and close the poll now. Um, and we're going to move on to a discussion about performance measurement. So I'm going to start by talking about some myths. Um, and these are myths that I believe to be true about how the occupational safety and health profession measures uh, what we do in terms of our outcomes. And then we're going to talk about a, a way to sort of debunk those myths and move forward differently. So the first thing is that we measure the same terms, we use the same terms and we measure the same things. And so we're very aligned in how we do that. And, and again, uh, I would suggest to you that that's quite a myth. Um, I did a research uh, project, uh, sort of an, um, uh, an article review project for an article that I wrote for Professional Safety Journal a couple of years ago. And I ran into a lot of different terms that were being used. Um, metric and indicator was, is one example of some folks use metric, some folks use indicator. Uh, some folks use lagging, some folks use leading, some use process, input, outcome. There's so many different terms out there that we use lots of different ones. But more importantly, is that we really don't have a standardized definition so if I were to say to all of you today, uh, take uh, one sentence to tell me what a leading indicator is. Give me a definition of a leading indicator. I'm sure there would not be consensus on that. The same for lagging indicator. So that's a problem for us as occupational safety and health professionals because we're not speaking the same language with terms and we're not speaking with the same definitions. And so that reduces our credibility. It leads to confusion. And as we move from one organization to another, there's a lot of um, um, upkeep that we have to do to try to figure out what we're doing in, in different places. This is the way that if you ask Mr. Googles, this is the way the terms leading and lagging uh, metrics or indicators are used in, econ in economics, excuse me. <clears throat> so a leading indicator is something that changes before the economy starts to change. The predictive value of a leading indicator varies, but they are used to indicate that something may be happening, uh, something may be occurring. Lagging indicators are used to measure changes after the economy changes. And so, and I've underlined, they are not predictive. So you can't use a lagging indicator to predict what might happen in the future. However, in some cases, they can be very good at confirming trends or confirming outcomes or providing us with really good information. Way before the pandemic time started a number of years ago, there was a lot of talk about an inverse yield curve and economists were talking about seeing the signs of a recession. 
And they were saying that they believed that to be true because the leading indicator of recessions tended to be inverse yield curves. Now the pandemic happened and of course the recession that we're in now or the pseudo recession we're in now uh, is a result of many other factors. But that's how an economist would use a leading indicator. The lagging indicator would be, did the recession actually occur? The second myth is this idea that while we all think that leading metrics are better than lagging metrics, that we all know what they are, that we can all do them, we can all develop them and uh, uh, participate in them. But that's not true. And I'm gonna use some information from some Campbell Institute documents that were published um, starting in 2013. And that's where the data on this slide comes from. The Campbell Institute, which some of you know, is part of the National Safety Council, engaged a number of safety professionals in a journey on leading metrics. What are they, how to develop them, what are best practices? And the result of that was five really excellent white papers that are available to you if you're interested in reading them. And all you have to do is search for uh, Campbell Institute, go to their website, and you can find those five white papers. This is from the first one published in 2013. And in a survey of occupational safety and health professionals, on the left-hand side, you can see that they rated themselves as proficient or expert more than half of the time in terms of their understanding of what a leading metric was, how to develop it, how to use it, how to implement it. And then at the beginner or advanced beginner level, very low. Unfortunately, on the other side, they felt that their executives in their organizations were kind of the flip, right? So the vast majority of the people who participated in this survey believed that their executives did not understand what a leading metric was in terms of occupational safety and health and how to implement it and how to use it. What that told me when I looked at it was that we were not aligned as professionals with our executives, our leadership teams, in terms of what we thought we should be doing. And that disconnect is also another part of the problem that I think we have uh, with measuring occupational safety and health performance, because there's a disconnect between what we think it is and what our executives think it is. This is from that same art, uh, same publication, and this is the definition that they came up with, the professionals and some of the other staff that were working with them, to define a leading metric. And I've highlighted a couple of words on here because I think they're really important in terms of a potential uh, definition. And you see the term preventative and predictive, things that monitor uh, effective performance and processes of an EHS management system. So all those words are intended to indicate what a leading metric is and what it can do to help us. But again, here's the disconnect. In the same article, the people who participated in the study and some of the work of the Campbell Institute uh, were asked to give a list of some of the leading metrics that they were tracking. And here's a list. Now you may look at that list and say, what's wrong with that list? Well, my opinion is that there's nothing in that list that is predictive, that allows me to monitor, or gives me any indication of how activities may lead to a process or a program improvement. There's nothing wrong with tracking the number of near misses that get reported. There's no, nothing wrong with having a goal for the number of training hours 
that we want to accomplish in a particular quarter or in a particular year. But 5,000 hours of training only means that I had 5,000 butts in seats when training was going on. I have no idea if that training was effective and whether or not it did what it was supposed to do. I have no idea if those near misses were important, whether they led to some sort of an improvement within my organization. So while they may be important things to track and monitor, because they are important activities that are intended to prevent, they really don't tell us anything. And part of the problem is because they are isolated from the process. It's just a number that we're tracking. <clears throat> the third myth that we wanna talk about is lagging metrics and how they have been used and continue to be used as a way to tell us how well our organization is performing. Lagging metrics, particularly incident rates, are often touted by many organizations and probably yours to say uh, our program is safe. Our organization, our workplace is safe because we don't have a lot of incidents. But we know that that's not true. We know that that's not true. There have been a number of studies and articles that have been published that take a look at these claims about particularly lagging incident rates. And what you see on this particular slide comes from an article that was published by Professional Safety Journal in April of 2021, so a little over a year ago. And it was called The Statistical Invalidity of TRIR. It is an excellent article, and I highly recommend that you obtain that article. If you're not a member of the American Society of Safety Professionals, you can probably obtain a PDF version of that article by asking, again, Mr. Googles for it. But what, what this group did that when they published this study was that they did a, a statistical analysis of incidents and incident rates for a number of different organizations. And what they came up with was the idea that incidents are actually random events that are often nothing more than the result of bad luck or timing. And if we're going to use an incident rate as a predictive indicator, we have to have millions of hours behind that rate before that rate is nothing more than random uh, statistical. There's no statistical validity in that rate. <clears throat> Oops, I'm sorry, went, went one slide too fast, sorry. The second problem with TRIR and other lagging indicators is that they count only what happens. So in other words, is what didn't happen a result of a program or a process improvement? We don't know. There's no way to know that based upon that isolated indicator, that isolated metric. And the last piece that they mentioned in this particular article is that severity is missing, right? So if I have 10 fatalities or 10 minor injuries that are recordable, I'm going to have the same TRIR. So when I'm comparing my TRIR to someone else's TRIR, that doesn't really help me because I have no idea what's in the TRIR of the other organizations that I'm basing my requirements on. And if I'm using a TRIR to compare last year to this year, unless I have millions of hours and hundreds of months, there's no statistical validity between those two data points. The fourth myth is that if I add an incentive to a metric, It'll help me achieve it and therefore it improves that metric and allows me then to benchmark 
against my organization's um, occupational safety and health program. There's a lot of reasons why this is a problem, and certainly many of us are familiar with what happened a number of years ago when OSHA started to take a look at incentive programs and discovered how often they increased the underreporting of true incidents. So Peter Drucker, of course, said what is measured gets managed, and that's important because when we put attention to something by measuring it, we put attention to it by activities that surround it. But what we know in occupational safety and health is what gets measured gets done. If I ask for 10 near miss reports per business unit per week, and I give some sort of a reward for that, I'm gonna get 10. In fact, I'm probably gonna get 11 or 12 just to be on the safe side. Doesn't matter whether they're any good in terms of quality, I'm gonna get that number. And as we just said, those numbers can be manipulated by people who don't report a particular incident because they wanna make sure that the incentive and the reward uh, occurs. Anybody has to just remember what happened to Wells Fargo in order to, oops, I'm sorry, I did that again, my bad, apologize. Uh, everybody just to remember what happened to Wells Fargo a number of years ago. Uh, and this information is from an article that comes from the Harvard Business Review in September of 19. And the CEO at the time of Wells Fargo, John Stumpf, uh, created a metric called eight is great. The idea was sound. If we wanna provide value to our customers, the more products that we uh, get our customers to use, the deeper the relationship, the better the value. That makes a lot of sense, right? And so the more products, the better the relationship to the customer. However, by establishing a metric and placing that metric with rewards on the customer service uh, employees, it led to the uh, requirement or the expectation that we're all going to get eight products for each customer. So in other words, if you wanted a credit card from Wells Fargo, you might find yourself signed up for a home equity line of credit or a business loan or some other product that you never asked for. And in fact, some of the customer service representatives signed you up without your permission. When it all fell down, uh, the CEO became the ex-CEO. There were tons and tons of uh, penalties associated because some of the activities were uh, illegal. They that, uh, created a huge problem with the reputation of Wells Fargo that to this day uh, is still an issue. The problem, of course, is that the metric was not aligned properly to the strategy. The people who were implementing the metric weren't consulted. They were just told what to do. And so their focus became meeting the metric at all costs. And I'm gonna bet that of the nearly 200 people that are on this call right now, on this webinar right now, I'm gonna bet at least two thirds of you have had this experience somewhere in your career. So now what, right? We've got all these problems associated with how we measure occupational safety and health performance. The things that we've been doing either aren't working we're using metrics in ways that they aren't intended to be. And they tend to be isolated, not only from business operations, but also from each other. And so if we open up our dashboard, we see all these lovely colors and numbers that are completely isolated. We track one metric here and we track one metric there and one metric here. 
but they're not conjoined together in some sort of a process. They're not associated with an improvement within our organization. But we now have a solution. We have a new standard that has been published, as I mentioned at the beginning, and it's called ANSI ASSP Z16, technically Z16.1-2022. That's the formal name for this particular standard. And it was published in April by ANSI and the American Society of Safety Professionals. Remember that this is a standard, not an OSHA regulation. And because it's a standard, it, it follows, it's an ANSI standard, it follows the consensus standard process. And if you're not familiar with that process, just a real quick explanation. A group of people that represent all of the stakeholders associated with a particular topic or a particular issue are brought together and form a committee during which they write the standard. And in order for the standard to be approved and then published, there has to be a consensus. So all of the stakeholders have a say in what happens and what's in that standard. Now, everybody doesn't have to agree to approve it. There are certain rules about the number of people, but the process really works to attempt, attempt, attempt excuse me, to obtain a consensus among all the stakeholders. Now, OSHA certainly, when they develop a standard, they reach out and they ask for information and they take that information. And I have no doubt that they give it serious consideration. But at the end of the day, OSHA writes the standard and OSHA publishes the standard and determines what's going to go in it. One of the things that I believe makes this particular standard a game changer, and I use that term uh, uh, deliberately, is that it has clear definitions. Remember, what's a leading indicator? What's a lagging indicator? Should we use metric? Should we use indicator? There are definitions in the standard that we can use when somebody asks us what a leading indicator is. And it has a process, an iterative process, that we can use over and over and over again. Also important is that it addresses the impact of our programs and our processes. So in other words, we're not just looking at a leading indicator like the number of training hours that are accomplished or a lagging indicator like how many uh, injuries occur or how many near misses occur. We're looking at a linear approach to performance measurement that marries leading and lagging indicators or metrics in this particular standard together and focuses their review and their development on a program or a process. This allows us to demonstrate value to the business. Organizations invest money in their occupational safety and health programs, and they want to know that they're getting a value for that, pro for that investment. The last thing about this particular standard is that it uses a balanced approach. Some of you may have heard the term balanced scorecard, and this is very similar to that. It's a balanced approach that takes into account improvement or risk reduction of our organization's most serious risks, our SIPs, Serious Injuries and Fatalities, or FSIs, Fatalities and Serious Injuries, whichever acronym uh, you've chosen to use, as well as the improvement of our management system. And we balance risk reduction and management system together instead of in an isolated process. This particular standard, <clears throat> again, it was published in 2022 in April. The original committee that developed this standard is very old, been, had been around for a really long time and developed five different standards on performance measurement way, way back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, all the way up through the 90s. 
Once OSHA and BLS took over record keeping activity, those standards were withdrawn. And what happened, of course, was that we then began to use OSHA record keeping as our way of measuring performance improvement. The current Z16 committee was reestablished in 2017 with the intent to revise one of the withdrawn versions. However, once they started digging into uh, the current thinking about measuring occupational safety and health performance, they ended up deciding to rewrite the entire standard and completely upending uh, the way we think about occupational safety and health measurement. And so that's why it went from 2017 to 2022 for the standard to be published. This is a picture of the standard, uh, which is available for purchase from the uh, American Society of Safety Professionals. Of course, because it is a uh, consensus standard, it is not available to you for free. You do need to purchase it. And this is the table of contents. Uh, we don't have time today to go through every single one of those individual sections. We're gonna focus on section two, three, and four in our comments today. And, and, and we'll mention a little bit about what's in some of the other appendices at the very end. So let's start right off with the definitions because I think that's really the critical piece. It gives me as an occupational safety and health professional a way to validate uh, a definition of a particular indicator. So a metric is a quantifiable measure that tracks and assesses the status of a specific process and I've underlined process there and I'm going to reinforce that concept as we continue to talk about both these definitions and then how this process of developing metrics works. These are the definitions of lagging and leading metrics. So the leading, excuse me, lagging metrics are the consequences of actions that we've taken, programs or process improvement or not taken. And they're usually the results at the end of a particular time period. Lagging metrics answer the question, what are we trying to achieve? Leading metrics are capable of influencing or predicting or preventing future events. And remember the definition that we looked at a little earlier from the Campbell Institute on the definition of a leading metric. This is 